Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Julia. Hi. Hey. So, um... Recently, Josh and I went to Texas. Oh yes, of course. Everything is bigger there. If you know, you know, is it bigger? Yeah, everything just, is just like people and cars and trees are all bigger. Isn't there an old Seinfeld Texas. joke like grapes as big as your face? Like, isn't that? I feel like that's like tickling the Somewhere back of my memory. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to Austin. Austin was really cool, and mm-hmm. um, we got to the LBJ Library and um, got to do some other cool stuff, including eating a ton of food. Of course. Um, but there is a lot of texas that we did not see of while course. we were there yeah because it's a um, big state it is a very big state that's what um, i hear so um one thing i was kind of thinking interested in that i would like to go like to see next time we go is okay. the alamo oh yeah remember the alamo remember the alamo and that is the extent of what i know about the yes, alamo is that i'm all, supposed to we remember all it do not remember a lot about mm-hmm. it so that's what i'm going to talk about today oh yay this week is, we are going to remember the alamo so The Alamo Mission was founded in the 18th century as a Roman Catholic mission and fortress compound and today is part of the San Antonio Missions World Heritage Site in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, cool. So the compound was one of early... Um, it was one of the early Spanish missions um, founded by Franciscans in Texas, built for the education of American Indians after their conversion to Christianity. Okay. And the mission was secularized in 1793 and then abandoned. Um, ten mm. years later, it became a fortress housing the second flying company of San Carlos de Parras military unit, who likely gave the mission the name Alamo because it stood in a grove of cottonwood trees. Okay. El Alamo is um, after the Spanish word for cottonwood. Oh, okay. So um, during the Texas Revolution, Mexican General Martin Perfecto de Cos, who was the brother-in-law of um, General Santa Ana, who we will get to, um, he surrendered the fort to the Texian army in December 1835 following the siege of Bexar. So a relatively small number of Texian soldiers then occupied the compound for several months. So Texians, T-E-X-I-A-N, they were residents of Mexican Texas and later the Republic of Texas. Um, Today, that term is used specifically specifically to distinguish early Anglo settlers of Texas, okay. specifically those who supported the Texas revolution. So okay. Texian is not a, um, I'm not saying it wrong and it is not <laughs> like a, you know, a, a typo when you see it's it like in print. Texian. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. Texian. Texian. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So um, the battle of the Alamo, mm. it was fought from February 23rd to March 6th, 1836 between Mexico and the Republic of Texas as part of the Texas revolution of 1835 to 1836. So the Texas revolution, it was a, co- a rebellion of colonists from the U S and um, Teanos who are Texas Americans mm-hmm. in putting up armed resistance to the centralist government of Mexico. Okay. On February 11th, 1836, the commander of the Alamo, Colonel James C. Neal, left the Alamo, likely to recruit additional reinforcements and gather supplies. And in his absence, the garrison was jointly commanded by newcomers William Barrett Travis, also known as Buck Travis, um, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Texian Army, and James 
Bowie, who had commanded a volunteer company. So that's uh, B-O-W-I-E. Uh, like a Bowie Like knife. you would say James Bowie. Some people say James Bowie, but it, it's pronou- he pronounced it Bowie. Bowie. So as the Texians struggled to find men and supplies, Santa Ana's army began marching north. On February 12th, they crossed the Rio Grande. And when scouts brought word on February 23rd, 1836, that the Mexican advance guard was in sight, the unprepared Texians gathered what food they could find in town and fell back to the Alamo. Hmm. So just a little background on some of our main characters here. Yeah, so uh, Jim Bowie, he was born in Kentucky in 1796. Um, he spent most of his life in Louisiana where he was raised and where he later worked as a land speculator. In 1818, he and his brother Reason entered into a partnership with the pirate Jean Lafitte to raise what? money for buying land. Um, he became famous around 1827 when what began as a duel between two other men deteriorated into a melee. Oh, this my. was known as the sandbar fight. So uh, Bowie, who had been both shot and stabbed in this melee um, killed the sheriff of the Rapides Parish with a large knife this and other stories of uh, Bowie's prowess with the knife led to the widespread popularity of the Bowie knife likely invented by his brother Reason so today a Bowie knife generally is considered to have a blade that's about eight and eight and a half inches long and about like one and a quarter inches wide it is a curved point and a sharp false edge cut from both sides as well as a cross guard to protect the user's hands and after moving to texas in 1830 Bowie became a mexican citizen oh that's interesting bonus trivia rock star david bowie was born david robert hayward jones he adopted the folk legend surname get jones changed his last name in the 1960s because he feared confusion with davy jones a oh, member sure. of the already famous monkeys. So um, this this David chose the Bowie eponym because he admired James Bowie and the Bowie knife, although his pronunciation uses the Bowie variant. Mm-hmm. So Bowie. Yes. So uh, he he took his stage name from. Huh. Jim I Bowie. had no idea. Mm-hmm. Also, you don't see melee is a lot anymore. Oh, yeah. There's not enough of those. Yeah. Duels that descend into, into melee. <laughs> we should bring Maybe that back. Maybe TimeCon. TimeCon 2018. Probably. We're going to be like, bring back melees. (laughs) We'll start a chant. (laughs) Just you and me in the middle of the the Bear Convention Center. (laughs) 20 people. (laughs) Bring back melees. You're like, those girls, we shouldn't have brought them here for free. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also have some background on Davy Crockett. Oh, Davy, Davy Crockett. Uh, something of the wild frontier. It's yeah, been a while. It's pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> he was born in 1786 in the area of East Tennessee that was called Franklin at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was a breakaway territory that had declared its independence from North Carolina two years earlier. Yeah, the state of Franklin. So yeah, the, you know, it never really got recognized sure. in U.S. history as an official state, but the people that lived there called oh, yeah. it an independent state, Franklin. So uh, Davy Crockett is considered a 19th century American folk hero, frontiersman, soldier, and politician. So during his lifetime, Crockett tried his hand at everything from farming to manufacturing wooden barrels and gunpowder, but he found his greatest success as a professional hunter. He mm. spent much of his life stalking black bears in the woods of Tennessee and selling their pelts, meat, and oil for profit. He claimed to have bagged 105 black bears in a seventh-month period during the winter of 1825 to 1826. Impossible. He's commonly referred to in popular culture by the epithet king of the wild frontier um he later represented tennessee in the u.s house of representatives and served in the texas revolution shortly after losing his final bid for congress in 1835 crockett withdrew from politics and drifted west famously telling his former constituents you may all go to hell and i will go to texas (laughs) which is 
I would make the <laughs> argument the same thing. Hey, oh, don't get mad at me, Texas. <laughs> so uh, we're back. We're back during wartime. It's uh, February 23rd, 1836. Okay. Mexican President General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana and his troops began a 13 day siege of the Alamo Mission and its small contingent of Texans, including the commanders Travis and Bowie along with Davy Crockett. So the men carried with them the first flag ever made for use in a Texian battle. Um, It was a flag that said, come and take it with an issue with an image of a cannon on it. So um, this was a symbol of defiance. That's um, a taunt. That's yeah. a taunt if I so, ever heard one. Uh, they they sketched an image of a cannon that they had received like four years earlier from Mexican officials. Um, so it's a cannon and a black star and says, come and take it. And when we were wow. down in Austin, like we saw this image like in all the all gift shops the and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. what the hell? So it was from the Alamo. On February 24th, 1836, during Santa Ana's siege of the Alamo, Travis wrote a letter addressed to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world. It is also known as the victory or death letter. Mm -hmm. This letter was one of several that Travis sent during the siege of the Alamo. Each carried a similar message. The Mexican army had invaded Texas. The Alamo was surrounded and the Texians needed more men and ammunition to wage a successful defense. No assistance was forthcoming from the Texas government. (gasps) Travis's letter is regarded as the most famous document in Texas history. The most it's fi- really powerful. Yeah. Wow. He signed it victory or death. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah no, that's that's yeah. intense. So um, at this point, um, Jim Bowie was ill by all accounts. Um, he could barely move from the cot that he was laying on. And according to legend, Buck Travis, the commander at, at the time, drew a line in the sand and asked those willing to die for the cause to cross the line. All but one of the soldiers followed. And at Bowie's request, Crockett and several others carried the cot holding Bowie over the line. Okay. So he was ready. He was, he was ready. They were all ready get it. to die for this cause. Man. Yeah. Like this is, people don't do this nowadays. No, this but is, you know what? That spirit stays in Texas for better yeah. or for worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. But this kind of like, uh, sir, I will not take your laws. I will be on my own and I'll die doing it. I will die being independent from you. Yeah. It was, in, it was so intense. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a big deal. And you know what? In the 19th century, sure. But <laughs> nowadays it's like, eh, are you going to say that while you're drinking? People your... just commented on the internet now. Yeah. Are you going to yeah. do that on your laptop in a coffee mm-hmm. shop in Austin? <laughs> Friend, your name is probably River, right? River. <laughs> so, no, not the same oh, impact. Man. Yeah, that's just true. Saying. Victory or death. Oh, man. So before beginning his assault on the Alamo, Santa Ana offered them one last chance to surrender. Travis replied by opening fire on the Mexican forces and in doing so effectively sealed their fate. So the siege came to a swift conclusion on the 13th day, March 6th, with an all-out assault that killed most of the Texian soldiers. The Battle of Alamo lasted about 90 minutes. All of the defenders were killed. Wow. And Commander Travis is said to have been the first killed by a single gunshot wound to the head. Hmm. Several soldiers surrendered to the Mexican army and Santa Ana ordered them to be executed (gasps) immediately despite the objections of several of his officers. Yeah. So usually if you surrender they're supposed to, you're supposed to become a prisoner of war sure. and they're supposed to you know there's all these like there's rules rules in place but yeah. the people that surrendered he ordered them to also be executed yeah. 
That's rough. So Santa Ana ordered his men to take the bodies to a nearby stand of trees where they were stacked together with wood piled on top. And that evening they lit a fire and burned the bodies to ashes. So the ashes were left there until about February 1837. So almost a year later when, um, when a fellow and his Calvary returned there to examine the remains, a local carpenter created a simple coffin and ashes from the funeral pyres were placed inside. The names of Travis Crockett and Bowie were inscribed in the lid. And the coffin was thought to have been buried in a peach tree grove, though the spot was not marked and can no longer be identified. Oh, wow. So the phrase, remember the Alamo, was used as a rallying cry. It's often attributed to General Sam Houston throughout the rest of the revolution and referred to the cruelty exhibited by Santa Ana. So this inspired many Texians, both Texas settlers and adventurers from the U.S., to join the Texian army. And... Um, uh, buoyed by a desire for revenge, the Texians defeated the Mexican army at the Battle of San Jacinto on April 21st, 1836, ending the revolution. Santa Ana was badly beaten and forced to sign the Treaty of Velasco, granting Texas its independence. So, Santa Ana, like, let's talk about him. Yeah, please. Let's talk about this Because he sounds like a real J-E-R-K. Yeah. Oh, not to use some crass not language to use or anything. a bad word. A four-letter word, if you will. Continue. So, Santa Ana had great power in Mexico. During a turbulent 40-year career, he served as a general at crucial points and served 11 non-consecutive presidential terms over a period of 22 years. Yeah. In the periods of time when he was not serving as president, he continued to pursue his military career, and he proclaimed himself the Napoleon of the West. Oh, that's... You know what? As soon as you declare yourself emperor or Napoleon, you are are on your way out. Yep. So um, two years after the 1836 Battle of the Alamo, Santa Ana led a makeshift army against French forces who had invaded Veracruz, Mexico, in what has been called the Pastry War. No! That's delightful. Delicious. Um, After the general was severely wounded by grape shot fired from a French cannon, doctors were forced to amputate his leg, which Santa... Anna buried at his Veracruz hacienda. And after he once again assumed the presidency in 1842, Santa Anna exhumed his shriveled leg, paraded it to Mexico City in an ornate coach, and buried it beneath a cemetery monument in an elaborate state funeral. What? That included Canon Salvo's poetry and lofty orations. (laughs) What? A self-involved he dick. He was the Napoleon of the West. What when you you dig up your shriveled <laughs> limb and then, and then hold you hold a per- state funeral yeah, for it? Yeah, for your friggin' knee and ankle. <laughs> so uh, Santa Anna's prosthetic leg was later captured as a battlefield trophy <laughs> mm-hmm. during the eighteen forty seven battle Battle of Sierra Gordo in the Mexican American War. The Fourth Illinois Infantry surprised Santa Anna, who fled without something quite important. His prosthetic cork and wooden leg. The Illinois soldiers seized the leg as a trophy piece that they brought back to their home state where it toured a country fairs before falling oh into the possession of the Illinois State Military Museum. Please where tell it me is it's still today. here. Yes. yes. So the Mexican government's repeated requests to repatriate Santa Ana's fake limb have been denied. Yeah. Because come on. Yeah. Repatriation is for funeral, <laughs> you know, bodies yes. and like mm-hmm. ceremonial maybe objects. Maybe if it were like his real leg, maybe they would have sure. thought differently. But no, this yeah. was some asshole's wooden leg. Yeah. But he no. forgot. Julia. Julia, what if we, <laughs> <laughs> what if we took a road trip? Okay. To, to a pilgrimage, if you will. Uh-huh. To visit the relics of Santa Ana's <laughs> fake leg. And then we did a podcast <laughs> about it. <laughs> Put it on the list. Ms. Info Pod travels to Illinois <laughs> to visit, to, to pay their respects to Santa Ana's prosthetic leg. Oh, that's good. I like it. Put it on the list. That's good. Yeah. 
Uh, Sanada found himself exiled on several occasions after being deposed from power. Finally, yeah. his banishment following his last stint as dictator brought the former Mexican leader to an unlikely location, hmm. the future New York City borough of Staten Island. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Staten Island, as you know, a friend of mine who grew up in Staten Island had a song about it. And the song goes, uh, parking lot and garbage dump and parking, parking lot and garbage dump parking lot and garbage dump staten island (laughs) (laughs) that's gorgeous it's beautiful oh Oh my gosh there's like 17 verses uh a coda and a bridge and it's it's just the same (laughs) like 10 letters 10 words that's amazing um, after St. Anna met with U.S. Secretary of State William Seward on the Caribbean island of St. Thomas in 1866, con men convinced him that the United States, the country against which he had fought during the Mexican-American War, would back his attempt to return to power in Mexico and depose Emperor Maximilian, who was the ruler handpicked by Napoleon's nephew, um, to take over. So when St. Anna arrived in New York City in May 1866, however, he learned that he had been duped. After spending years on Staten Island, Santa Ana returned to Mexico shortly before his death in 1876. During his forced retirement in Staten Island, Santa Ana imported a chewy, rubber-like substance harvested from Mexican sapodilla trees. What? Chicle. Oh, chicle gum. Yeah. So when Santa Ana's personal secretary and interpreter showed the material to friend Thomas Adams, the amateur inventor was intrigued and thought he could use it to produce a rubber substitute. With the help of Santa Ana, who hoped the experiments would result in a windfall that could finance his return to power, Adams spent $30,000 in an unsuccessful attempt to vulcanize the chicle. (laughs) And when that venture failed, however, Adams successfully added flavorings and sweeteners to the plant to create rubber chewing gum. And the chewing gum company started by Adams would become one of the largest in the country, rivaled by only that of William Wrigley Jr. and the developer of chiclets. So what you're telling me right now is that General Santa Ana, the butcher of the Alamo, was the father of gum. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, now that is good trivia. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Who is the historic father of gum? General Santa Ana. Yeah. Fuck that Napoleon in the West. Yeah, right? Um, oh, okay. So another like important guy from all of the story, Sam Houston. Oh yeah. So he ran away from home in 1809 at age 16 because he did not like working as a shop clerk in his older brother's store. Understandable. Instead, he went Southwest and lived for a few years with the Cherokee tribe led by Uluteca on Hiawassee Island in the Hiawassee River above its confluence with the Tennessee River. Mm. Uluteca, who the American settlers called John Jolly, had become a hereditary chief there. And he became an adoptive father to Houston, giving him the Cherokee name of Colina, meaning the raven. Hmm. Houston became fluent in the Cherokee language while living with the tribe. And he fought against the British in the War of 1812 and was wounded in several battles. He went on to become a lawyer, U.S. House Representative, and the governor of Tennessee. And Houston left for Texas following disputes over how the government was treating the Cherokee Indian tribe in 1832. He joined the Texas Revolution and defeated Santa Ana. He was a great hero to both the Cherokee and Texas people, and he served as the first and third president of Texas before it became the 28th state of the U.S. in December 1845. Mm. Later, as governor of Texas, he refused to swear loyalty to the Confederacy when Texas seceded from the Union in 1861 with the outbreak of the American Civil War, and he was removed from office. And to avoid bloodshed, he refused an offer of a Union army to put down the Confederate rebellion. And as a former president of Texas, he was the last foreign head of state to serve in the U.S. Congress. Oh, that's interesting. interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So today, the remnants of the Alamo are in downtown San Antonio in Texas. Mm-hmm. 
in the United States of America. Okay. Um, the church it. building remains standing and serves as an official sh- state shrine to the Texian defenders. So, um, the Alamo and pop culture. Okay. In the 1985 film, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> Pee Wee Herman's bike is stolen when he's shopping at a mall and the police tell Pee Wee they cannot help him find his bike. He visits Madame Ruby, who's a phony psychic, and she tells Pee Wee that his bike is in the basement of the Alamo Mission in oh, San Antonio. Yeah. And he goes on like a lot of a lot of big adventures in yeah. this movie. Um, he finally arrives at the Alamo, and he's and he's there on a tour. And he asks the tour guide, "Excuse me, when are we going to see get to see the basement?" And she tells him, "There is no basement. Oh, there's no basement of the Alamo." And the end was at the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> There's a little bit more after that. Oh, but, okay. um, but like the whole quest was about him like going to go to the Alamo so that he could retrieve his stolen bicycle. Oh, that's heartbreaking. wasn't even there. That's too bad. Um, another thing, the Alamo Draft House. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. guys went there. Yeah. And when you were talking to me about it, I had no idea that it was a movie theater. Oh. I was like, why did you spend so much time at like a bar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Restaurant? Um, it is a movie theater. So cool. in 1997, um, Tim League and his wife opened a single screen movie theater in Austin, Texas. That is now one of the highest ranked theater chains in the country. So Alamo Draft House has rules for moviegoers. No cell phones, no yep. talking and no babies. Oh, man, and that's nice. Who, <laughs> yeah. oh. Anyone who violates this policy is subject to warning and potential removal from the premises. They have a full bar and food service throughout the movies. Yeah. Why isn't Very there cool. one here? It's a chain? I know. Yeah. So a lot of them are in Texas. There's some of them in, um, there's some in Northern Virginia now. They're kind of like spreading out, but mm. I think New York City's getting one soon. But yeah, I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing I, premise. It's I, expensive, but like it's a fun experience. I will pay extra for not, for some old lady not to flip open her phone <laughs> and attempt to text her oh, son yeah. in the middle mm-hmm. of, or murmur to each other about yeah. what's going on in the plot of the movie. Yeah, so. exactly. Yep. No talking, no texting, no babies. It's great. That's great. I love that. And finally, this one is kind of a stretch. I just wanted to kind of talk about it because the name is a little familiar. Um, have you heard of Alamo Gordo, New Mexico? I don't think so. Alamo Gordo, New Mexico. I do know Gordo means fat. So yeah. Fat so the name Alamo. means fat cottonwood tree. Okay. Okay. So the city's known for two things. The Alamo Gordo Air Force Base was the site of Trinity, the first detonation of a nuclear weapon oh, wow. on okay. July 16, 1945. That goes. Also, the landfill at Alamo Gordo was the site of a mass burial of unsold video game cartridges, <gasps> consoles, oh, and yes. computers undertaken by American video game and home computer game company Atari Inc. Yes. In ni- 1983. So in September of that year, the Alamogordo Daily News of Alamogordo, New Mexico, reported in a series of articles that between 10 and 20 semi-trailer truckloads of Atari boxes, cartridges, and systems from an Atari storehouse in El Paso, Texas, were crushed and buried at the landfill within the city. It was Atari's first dealings with the landfill, which was chosen because no scavenging was allowed mm-hmm. and its garbage was crushed and buried nightly. So starting on September 29th, 1983, a layer of concrete was poured on top of the crushed materials, which is a rare occurrence in waste disposal. Yeah. Up until 2014, the items buried were rumored to be mostly unsold copies of E.T., the yes. extraterrestrial, one of the biggest commercial failures in video gaming and often cited as one of the worst video games ever released. Yes, mm-hmm. I have heard this. In 2014, Fuel Industries, Microsoft, and others worked with the New Mexico government to excavate the site to validate the contents of the landfill as part of the documentary called Atari Game Over. I saw it. Mm-hmm. It's a great documentary. Everyone should watch it. It's so interesting, even if you're interested in video games or not 
<laughs> and on April 26, 2014, the excavation revealed discarded games and hardware and about 1,300 cartridges were recovered during the excavation period. Yeah. So uh, the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York has a giant collection of Atari-related materials. Oh, yeah. And um, one of the things that came out of this, this dig was that the museum um, was somebody donated um, a couple uh, of the cartridges that I had was been buried at the landfill, yeah. as well as some of the dirt from the dump so cool. that's like on display and it's very hard for the conservator to be like what are we yeah why do we have dirt in we? here yeah we shouldn't okay guys don't so. give us your dirt okay <laughs> we actually try and remove dirt from the artifacts as a museum worker yeah. insider info it's very counterintuitive yeah do not give us your dirt <laughs> so uh, yeah i know i got i started talking about atari but um that is um the history of the battle of the alamo basically santa Ana's bad guy yeah um there are three major people that were there you had travis you had um Bowie, and you had crockett they were all killed at the yeah. alamo um travis wrote that great letter victory or death um Bowie's known for his knife and his fighting prowess sure Davy crockett king of the wild frontier um and sam houston with remember the alamo i love it yeah thank you so much i did not know anything about the alamo except from what i learned from drunk history ah. which i forgot mostly about except that i know that chris parnell played Bowie, <laughs> and i i have a distinct memory of him lying on a cot pretending to be sick and him like waving his crazy knife around yeah. at the end when he's like we're I gonna kill that. the mexicans yeah mm -hmm. so thank you for that that was very good so now it's time for the quiz uh, my quiz is called Everything's Bigger in Texas. Great. This is a quiz on Texas-based television shows and movies. <gasps> Question one. On the critically acclaimed television series Friday Night Lights, which, yes, is primarily about high school football, but also so much more, Coach Eric Taylor spends the first two seasons coaching what Texas high school team who wears blue, not pink, uniforms? Question two. What Oscar-winning Coen Brothers-directed film showcases terrifying hitman Anton Chigurh, portrayed by Javier Bardem, in an almost equally scary pageboy wig, as he hunts down money in the desert landscape of West Texas? Question three. Three true or false statements about Chuck Norris's long-running TV show, Walker, Texas Ranger. First, Walker, Texas Ranger is set in Texas. Second, the full name of Chuck Norris's character is Walker T. Montgomery III. And third, martial arts were displayed prominently as the primary tool of law enforcement. Question four, another Ed Gain reference. What's the name of the insane killer in the 1974 horror movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and its subsequent sequels? Question five, the animated sitcom King of the Hill, set in the fictional town of Arlen, Texas, ran for 13 seasons on Fox. Many of the show's characters are voiced by well-known actors. Which comedian runs amok and performs her voice magic as substitute teacher Peggy Hill, wife of Hank? Question six, director Oliver Stone has made three big screen movies about American presidents, including his most successful, JFK, from 1991. Which other two presidents have been given the Stone treatment? Question seven, Helen Childress was the screenwriter for what cult status film starring Winona Ryder, Ben Stiller, Ethan Hawke, and Janine Garofalo, set in Houston's early 1990s grunge scene? Question eight, what's the story, Wishbone? The PBS live-action literary children's television show Wishbone was actually filmed in and set in Texas. The titular little dog with a big imagination was what canine breed? Question nine, Wes Anderson's 1998 film Rushmore is about an eccentric teenager named Max Fisher, a student at Rushmore Academy in Houston, who befriends a rich industrialist named Herman Bloom. 
The actors who played these two main characters have now been collaborating with Anderson for nearly two decades. Name both of these actors. And question 10. Are you ready to see your Fixer Upper? Joanna and Chip Gaines, the star of HGTV's Fixer Upper, are the proprietors of what flowery business group that combines realty, construction, interior design, and home goods? We'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. All right. Question one. Oh, boy. <laughs> On the critically acclaimed television series Friday Night Lights, um, Coach Eric Taylor spends the first two seasons coaching what Texas high school team who wears blue, not pink, uniforms? Uh, from your from your clue, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Panthers. Yes. Okay, yes. great. I've never watched the show. Uh-huh. but The Dillon Panthers. Um, in season four, he's fired from Dillon High School and goes to coach at the East Dillon High School. Um, as the East Dillon uh, Lions oh. coach. Um, wow, there's not and, a lot of stretch there. Yeah, and, and that um, school has a lot more like economically disadvantaged students and race issues and all kinds oh, of okay. stuff. So, so it gets, gets really, yeah, it gets, yeah. gets, yeah, so good for TV drama. Uh, question two, what Oscar-winning Coen Brothers film um, showcases terrifying hitman Anton Chigurh, uh, portrayed by Javier Bardem? That is called No Country for Old Men. It is, yes. That's, that was a very good movie. Yeah, so um, it's based on a Cormac McCarthy novel, and it garnered four Oscars. So Best Director for Joel and Ethan Coen, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Javier Bardem, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, you can also catch Bardem with another scary hairdo in uh, Skyfall. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Javier Bardem has the richest, deepest, baritone speaking voice with like the the barest hint of a lilt of Spanish. (laughs) He is so incredible. I'm a big fan. Mr. Bardem. Senor Bardem, if you will. Uh, Question three. We got three true or false statements about Walker, Texas Ranger. Okay, I think I can do this. First, Walker, Texas Ranger is set in Texas. Yes. Yes, yes, it's true. Okay. Uh, second, the full name of Chuck Norris's character is Walker T. Montgomery III. Uh, true. False. Oh. His character's name is Texas Ranger Sergeant Cordell Walker. He oh. just goes by Walker the whole time. But Yeah, sure. I, when I was trying to think of this question, I was like, should I make his name be Walker T. Walker? <laughs> that would be kind of funny. But That would be funny. Yeah. Um, and then third, martial arts were displayed prominently as the primary tool of law enforcement. Uh, true. True. He is always kicking guns out of people's hands. Karate chop. Yeah. <laughs> All right, question four. Another Ed Gain reference. What's the name of the insane killer in the 1974 horror movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I've never seen it, but is it Leatherface? It is. Yes. Leatherface. Uh, he wears masks made of human skin. Sure. Um, and engages in both murder and cannibalism. Mm. Um, and Wisconsin killer Ed Gain, who 
wore a mask made of human skin was reportedly the inspiration for elements in the original film. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm. Nipple belt. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Gross. Anyway. Uh, Question five. The animated sitcom King of the Hill set in the fictional town of Arlen, Texas reigned for 13 seasons. Many of the show's characters are voiced by well-known actors. And which comedian runs amok and performs her voice magic as substitute teacher Peggy Hill? Is that Katie Siegel? Katie uh, Seagal? Kathy Najimy. Kathy Najimy. Oh my God, yeah. I love her. Yeah. What happened to Kathy Najimy? Oh, you can right now catch her in two of my favorite shows. Get Veep out of here. And Younger. Oh, see, I didn't watch yeah. any of either of those. Yeah. I'm so glad she's still getting work. Yeah. Because she was... She's very funny. Great singing voice. Mm-hmm. Funny lady. Mm-hmm. Just love her. Yep. It's great. Shout out. Shout out to, to our Kathy. girl. Uh, question six. Director Oliver Stone has made three big screen movies about American presidents, including his most successful JFK from 1991. Which other two presidents have been given the Stone treatment? So I think George W. Bush. Yes. Because he did W. Mm-hmm. And Nixon? Yes. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Because he's a Republican, so he tends to choose. Well, besides <laughs> JFK. But yeah. that was he's also mm-hmm. a conspiracy theorist. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... So yeah, so um, Nixon was 1995, starring Anthony Hopkins, yes. and um, W was 2008, starring Josh Brolin, who is, as I hear, uh, a spousal abuser. So yes, yeah, don't watch Born Josh Brolin movies. Some tea, hot tea. Yeah. Uh, question seven. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Alan really Childress was the screenwriter for what cult status film starring Winona Ryder, Ben Stiller, and Ethan Hawke, and Janine Garofalo, set in Houston's early 1990s grunge scene. I, I've, I've seen it. Is this you can, the like, one? picture the poster or Yeah, something. and they're yeah, all like yeah, in black yeah. and they all look bored. Mm. What's it called? Reality Bites. Reality Bites. Yeah. So the plot follows Leilana, played by Winona Ryder, who is an aspiring videographer working on a documentary called Reality Bites about the disenfranchised lives of her 20-something friends and roommates. Yeah. Uh, its original title was actually going to be The Real World until <gasps> that MTV show aired with the same name Oh, first. yeah, because it was yeah. at the same time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, question eight. What's the story? Wishbone, the PBS live action literary children's television show Wishbone was filmed in and set in Texas. The titular little dog with a big imagination was what canine breed? He is a Jack Russell Terrier. That is correct. Yes. They're uh, so cute. Question nine. Wes Anderson's 1998 film Rushmore is about an eccentric teenager named Max Fisher who befriends a rich industrialist named Herman Bloom. The actors who play these two main characters have now been collaborating with Anderson for nearly two decades. Name both of these actors. Okay, so the one is Bill Murray. Yes. And then the second is, I can see his face and his very heavy eyebrows. Mm, Yes. And he's got a mole Mm -hmm. here. Oh, damn. What's his name? Jason Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Yeah. So Bill Murray's been in eight Wes Anderson films. Yeah. Uh, Jason Schwartzman has been in five. Um, only Owen Wilson has been in nearly as many as Murray with seven. Um, and in 2016, Rushmore was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry nice. by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Uh, Wes Anderson films tend to have a cult following. You either like love sure. Wes Anderson films or you hate them. I am in the former category. I really like Wes Anderson films. I'm sorry. I really like the um, like the deadpan uh, quality of the films. Right. Um, I think I might like them more if somebody hadn't told me that they were a comedy. Like, oh, <laughs> like I was like, I want to watch something funny. I'm and Josh watch put on thing. Rushmore. It's not, it's not a LOL. No, romp. it's a, it is at best a Wes Anderson film. Where you, you go, might go. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. So that's it. That's it. That's yeah. the extent of how, but it's, I think it's clever. 
I think that's sure. it. It's not, they're not comedies. Yeah. They're clever As films. long as they are presented to me as such, Absolutely. I can... Absolutely. I'll give it another important. try. And finally, okay. question 10. Are you ready to see your fixer-upper? Yes. Joanna and Chip Gaines, stars of HGTV's fixer-upper, are the proprietors of what flowery business group that combines realty, construction, interior design, and home goods? That's uh, Magnolia Inc. Yes. or something yeah, like that. Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they um they just signed a deal with I think Target yeah. where they're going to be Sorry. selling their yep. stuff. Some of that's already ready to go. Oh boy, it's great. Watch out. So that was my quiz. That was great. That was Texas. Just Texas a, history. Just a little snippet of Texas in uh, TV and movies, and then also um, how you can remember the Alamo. I will continue to remember the Alamo. And again, think a little bit. Think a little bit about how we're going to get to Illinois to to yeah, see some to leg. See, see. See some old man leg made of cork and wood. Athletic leg. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, um, thanks for listening, guys. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Uh, You can also get in touch with us, uh, missinfopod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at missinfopod. You can email us at missinfopod at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, misinformation colon a trivia podcast. Look for the pretty pink uh id picture yeah logo um and uh we have a website triple dub dot miss info pod dot com so there you go we are easily reachable easily reachable uh please rate review and subscribe uh tell your friends about us we're fun people (laughs) you like listening right you're listening right now you're still listening you like us yeah you You, really like us guess what you already (laughs) like us so get on the horn and tell some friends So anyway, thanks so much for listening, you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. A hundred and eighty were challenged by Travis to die. By the line that he drew with his sword when the battle was Crossover, but him that would live better fly. And over his line went a hundred and seventy-nine. I, Santiago, we're killing your soldiers below. So the rest of Texas will know. And remember the Alamo. Battlements bloody and loud
this is sovereign and free. We'll never surrender and ever will liberty be. I, Santiago, we're killing your soldiers below. So the rest of Texas will. 